0: Some of you know that my wife and I had a whirlwind courtship. It lasted all of three months and we were married at the end of that time. It is not the recommended way to go about it. But in December, we celebrated our 37th anniversary. Woo-hoo! The woman is a saint, as you might imagine. Now, when we got together, because it was so fast, we really didn't know each other all that well, and we certainly didn't know each other's family. And um, although most of you don't really know the setting I come out of, when I was younger, I was much more guarded than I am today, and much less trusting. And uh, I wasn't sure that I liked Marsha's brothers and sisters very much. I wasn't sure that I could trust them. Except for one, Rick. Her oldest brother, Rick. He was my age. He was a recovering alcoholic. And there was something that I liked about him because I felt it was honest and true and he could speak candidly. He didn't avoid. He wasn't just running off into humor or other kinds of things. There was a serious side to him. And he understood that he had dealt with some darkness in his light life, and he had overcome it with the help of God. He was a recovering alcoholic from the 12-step program. And one of the things that I learned about Rick was that Rick would go to two or three meetings a week, not so much because he needed that for his sobriety, but so that he could be there for others who were trying to get their sobriety. He could encourage them. He could share his story that might be an encouragement to them. But he also became the sponsor of many, many people. And when Rick passed away and went home to be with the Lord, you know, we were amazed at how many people knew and loved Rick because he had walked with them through the experience of those 12 steps. Rick had lived out what the program calls the 13th step. Where you give away what it is that you've gotten. Where you share the gift with others. In a sense, as we're talking about this series and living on mission, that's what it's about. It's about us sharing the gift. It's about the 13th step. Where we can share the love that has so captured Our hearts that has set us free from the prisons and bondages that we've lived in of fear or doubt or death or anger or lust or whatever it is. Not perfectly. We're a work in progress. But certainly has begun to set us free and open doors for us and allow us, instead of being prisoners, locked in, keeping everyone outside too with God's help and through God's grace and mercy to be able to love and be loved by God and others. We're in this series in Living on Mission and today's the last day, the first Sunday I wanted to remind you about remembering our mission. In the second and third Sundays, Pastor Tim, between his wrestling match with me, (laughs) taught us about inviting, which is hospitality, and extending, which is incarnational expression of living with others. And today I want to talk to us about living on mission as the most important expression of sharing God's love with others. The big idea is not anything novel or earth-shaking. It's rather simple, but profound in its simplicity. Sharing the gift of Jesus is primarily an act of love, not duty or piety. If it is an act of duty or piety primarily, it lacks heart. It is more of going through the motions than it is of sharing the gift that you have received from the Lord. The gift of love that liberates and lifts up others. And that's what I want us to To think about when we think about our mission of reaching out to others in the world, of reaching out to others in our neighborhoods or at work, of reaching out to others even in our own homes. Today we're going to look at that love a little more carefully as we consider Matthew's calling in the Gospels. Our text today is from Matthew 9, 9-13. through 13. The account of Matthew's calling, he's also known as Levi in the Gospel of Luke, is in all three of the synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Although they are slightly different. Not, not much at all. And the focus that I want us to stay with today is on Matthew. A little background information. Matthew tells us that when Jesus began His ministry, He left Nazareth. And He went to a town called Capernaum. It's at the north center of the Sea of Galilee. You can see it up there. And that's where He began His ministry. And He began by preaching and calling people to repent for the Kingdom of God is at hand. And he engaged in healings. Many of them. And if you could see where that little circle is, just to the right of Capernaum, that's likely where the Sermon on the Mount took place. And he traveled between Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum often. He would say at one point, woe to them because of the things they have seen and not believed. He spent plenty of time there. He had become a celebrity, and crowds gathered around him. We could see Gennesaret, and that's where he met the demoniac, who he healed. And of course, Magdala—that's where Mary Magdalene came from—and he healed her of seven evil spirits. Jesus makes his home here in Capernaum. And it is along the highway on the north edge of the Sea of Galilee, well-traveled, that Matthew has set up his tax booth. And the encounter with Jesus takes place. Let's read it together. As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And He said to him, Follow Me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It is likely that when this exchange happens, it's not the first time that Matthew has seen Jesus. And not the first time that he has heard his voice this itinerant preacher. No doubt he has heard about the incredible healings that have taken place. And the whispers, perhaps even louder than whispers, that could this be the Messiah? One of the things for sure that we know, when Jesus called Matthew, all of the Gospels make it clear that he left his old life behind. He got up and left everything. Immediately in the Gospel of Matthew, it transports us to a house. Was it the house of Jesus of Capernaum? Was it Matthew's house? We don't know. But this must we know. He throws a party for Jesus. That's what Dr. Luke tells us. And he invites to this party Jesus, who's the guest of honor, his disciples, who are certainly welcome, and now Matthew is one of them, his old friends, tax collectors. And just... General folk. Sinners. And of course, a few local important religious people. Pharisees and scribes probably from the local synagogues in that area. And he brings them all together to celebrate Jesus. And while they're eating, reclining at table, the Pharisees turn to Jesus' disciples and say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now they're insinuating that Jesus is not who everybody is saying He is. They're insinuating that Jesus is not really a good man. Because the really good people hang out with the good people. You see, table fellowship in the ancient world was not a casual thing, it was a symbol of closeness. The Gospel of Matthew records the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. This is only one of them. There will be many more. And the Pharisees represented the legal purity and righteousness that they pursued as the only way to God. But Jesus, He would preach and He would teach the importance of what we know as Hesed love, what's interpreted often in the Old Testament as steadfast loving kindness, or in this case, mercy, is equivalent to agape in the New Testament. He not only would preach it and teach it, But He would be it. And He would demonstrate it in the cross by giving His life. Becoming that sacrificial lamb for the rest of us. So that He might make the way open to God. That He might resolve God's issue with our sinfulness. That God is more than happy to forgive us. Because the debt has been paid by Jesus. And the truth is, some of us haven't resolved our issues with God, but God has settled that matter. And we can settle it as well by embracing Jesus, God's answer for our own sinfulness and brokenness. And entering back into the relationship that God had always intended for humanity from the beginning of time. Intimate fellowship with God, where He would make His dwelling with us and we with Him. Well, after they ask this question, the disciples do not answer. Jesus answers. And He uses an analogy of a doctor with patients. And he says doctors exist. Their purpose is to heal the sick. You're not going to find them around all the well people. They don't need them. But the sick do. They need help. And he's saying that sinners are spiritually sick and they need help. And those who understand God and they understand that what God wants in relationship to them. And they understand God's love and grace and mercy. Well, those people need to be touched by them. Because the sinners are lost. Many of them don't even know it. Then Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophet Hosea. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Hosea was a prophet to Israel, a contemporary of Amos. And Amos called the people to live righteous and just lives because they weren't. But Hosea, he called the people to understanding the importance of the knowledge of God and of God's hesed love, His mercy. If God had given both of these men this spirit to preach to His people, We shouldn't expect that living righteously and justly is in opposition to the knowledge of God or God's Hesed mercy and love for us. They're not. Hosea would agree to that, I think. He would just say that Hesed love is a better obedience than just obedience to the law. Jesus then closes the exchange with these Pharisees with a bold declaration. They have challenged His integrity at the beginning. Jesus is hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. He's not in the kind of place and with the kind of people that good religious folk hang with. He's not who people think He is. Now Jesus said to them, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And He is making a declaration. He is saying that He is the Messiah. I want to take the rest of our time to really talk about the application of this for us as we think about sharing God's love with others. What is it that we can learn and apply from this party? I had somebody ask me this morning, what are you going to teach on today, Pastor? I said, partying. So now we're going to talk about partying. There are some things that we can learn about this party that Matthew had that will instruct us in relating to others. Perhaps even throwing our own Matthew party. Who knows? But here goes. The first thing I think that we can walk away from in this experience is that the mission, our mission, your mission, my mission, begins with acceptance of the invitation to follow Jesus. It begins with a willingness to lead our old life behind. The truth is, when a lot of people first come to Jesus, they're looking for Jesus to clean up something, take care of something, but not give Him everything. But The example of Matthew tells us That's not what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, Matthew gives up everything and walks away. And if you're like me, you know that in that experience of giving whatever up you gave up, perhaps you gave it all up, perhaps you gave a portion of it up, but you know in your life you're going to be giving up more and more and more because you're going to find yourself taking control of things throughout your lifetime. And they all need to come under the Lordship of Jesus. They all need to come under His guidance and leadership. I'm not talking about asking Him to play chess with our lives and tell us which checkers to move and everything. Although God will provide us with as much guidance as, as we will stand and accept. And submit to. I'm talking about His leadership over every aspect of your life. His leadership over your marriage. His leadership over your parenting. His leadership over the stewardship of your physical body. His leadership in how you relate to people. His leadership in how you're handling work. His leadership in your friendships. His leadership in how you correct someone. A willingness to leave the old life behind. And for some of us, a lot of us, It also means throughout our life a willingness to leave the old thinking and fears and hesitations behind. Because I think part of the problem for many of us is when it comes to the mission, we get all jumbled up inside of ourselves and trying to share Jesus. And the experiences aren't always what we think they are, and we get disappointed, and we get discouraged, and we think, well, maybe we're making more of a mess of it than we should. And we just give up. And that kind of thinking needs to go. Because sharing the love of Jesus is just that. It's sharing love. It's not causing people to be different. It's not making them accept that you're such a great person because you're reaching out with them in love. That's about you. It's about realizing they matter and doing what you can to help them. And often that means helping them not just to have conversations about Jesus but it might be helping them with homework. It might be helping them mow the lawn. It could be helping them carry groceries. It could be driving them somewhere. It could be in the midst of their grief and loneliness and loss coming alongside of them. It could be any of these things without any intention of necessarily forcing them into those discussions. And creating this change and transformation. We can hope that the Spirit of God will break through, but transformation and change belongs to God. And we need to let go of whatever those expectations are that we have and just let God be in charge of it all and just love. And in the process of that, we'll have conversations with people about Jesus and about the spiritual life that we can't even imagine. When we're talking about Dr. Brian coming here to talk, he's right. There's a lot of people that are interested in knowing more about spirituality, but they have their own smorgasbord of spirituality going on. There's a lot of opportunity for conversation out there. And we just need to understand how to engage with people so that that takes place and we can present the Gospel, the good news of God's love for them. I think if we leave some of the old fears and the old hesitations behind, I think you and I can be a little bit bolder for for Jesus, don't you? we could trust the holy spirit just a little bit more in this well here's the second thing i see in this party that matthew throws that there is a willingness to connect with all kinds of people and we have to be willing to connect with all kinds of people especially those who are not like us and the reality is it takes courage to build bridges because we're going to be building bridges with people who are not like us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the church is the church only when it exists for others. Not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. That's really what we're talking about. That's what this is about. And you know, it's interesting, this is a while back, but they did a study when people came to faith. And they checked in with them, and one of the things that they discovered that was amazing is that within three years of coming to a decision for Jesus, almost all of those people no longer have any unbelieving friends. They've all been supplanted by believing friends. Now we can understand that because we want to be with people who are like us and we want to learn and we want to grow and we want to become. But so many of us live in that world and aren't busy connecting and being with others who are not like us except at work where we have to. And then we're not looking at it as an opportunity. We're looking at, it. oh, those miserable people. They're being nasty to me. And they might be. And the question is, how will we respond? Are we willing to connect with them? Are we willing to look for those opportunities to be like Jesus? Somebody might say, well, doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to have nothing to do with them? Nothing to do with them? I said no. Here's what the Bible says in essence, that we should have nothing to do with sinful ways. It doesn't tell us that we can't connect with people who might be sinners, but we're not to give ourselves over to the sinful ways that we might have had, or the sinful ways that they practice. When I asked my brother-in-law, Rick, tell me your story. Tell me how you came to sobriety. Because you know that it's less than 30% of people who beat addiction, right? And and the best record is the 12-step program, which you know is based on the Bible, Right? Just, if you don't know that, just want to make sure you understand those truths. And Rick said to me, Craig, I didn't get sober right away. It was my third try at sobriety. He said, after failing twice, I finally realized that I had to give up my playmates and my playground. He was coming out of the program and going back to the bars, hanging out with his friends in the bars, drinking. And he wasn't strong enough to say no. And he realized he had to give that up to get his sobriety. That's what the Bible is talking about. The Bible encourages us to love all people. Certainly as we have opportunity. And Rick understood that well. And he did. Here's the third thing we see in that party. That Matthew acted in love. And he was intentional about it. Matthew loved Jesus. That's why he followed Him. Matthew loved his tax collector friends. That's why he wanted to make sure that they connected. He extended that to sinners. Likely people he loved as well that he knew. And of course, he even extended it to the important religious people in the area. Some scribes and Pharisees. He was intentional about putting them all together at this party. But he didn't do it out of piety or duty. He did it out of love and joy. Now maybe I'm reading that into it. But I think that's accurate. I want to say to you that it matters how you approach people if you're going to share the gift of Jesus. The more you have that opportunity to come up in a natural setting or natural occurrence where the conversation just turned spiritual and you didn't even lead it there, the more real and genuine it feels to the other person. the more it's done with love so that your concern is for them and about them. People will feel that. Some may coil away because love can be threatening, but some will also respond because love is attractive. People can feel when you care about them and when you don't. But the more we approach people out of some sense of duty or piety, the more that concern is for an agenda. doesn't have much to do with the person. And honestly, it makes them feel weird. And it comes across often as condescending, as though we have something that is so important and so special, we have it and they don't. Reality is, I've never talked to anybody. And believe me, people confess a lot of things to pastors. I've never talked to anybody who's done anything I'm not capable of. And one of the things that Marsha often tells me, people will come up to her and say, your husband's just So regular. Pastor or not, we're all just people. Believers or not, we're all just people. And for those of us who have come to know Jesus, man, that's the best thing in life. And death. but we're not different than the rest of the world. We're just on a a different journey because Jesus picked us up and put us on that journey. Chesed love is guiding and leading us. Mercy and grace is the way. And it comes through faith in Jesus. Here's the fourth and last thing that we learn from this party. And about sharing Jesus with others. You don't have to go it alone. Often it's better together. You know, Matthew's not alone. He gets a big party of people together. And instead of trying to have these conversations with me, he says, ah, you know, I'm just going to get them together, see what happens. See what God does. Man, God can do more than we imagine. That's what Scripture tells us. And He often does. Matthew partnered with Jesus and the disciples to reach his tax-collecting friends and even the Pharisees and the scribes. So let's talk about this in a pragmatic way, especially this partnering, because we have some opportunities to partner right now that are really unique. You know, Pastor told us during the announcement about Kids Night Out, or kids night in, parents night out, kids night in. That is, Saturday uh, Friday, February 15th, from 5:30 to 8:30. It's three hours. Think about how you could partner with the church to express some love to people. Think about people you know who have kids. Think about single parents who are constantly struggling right, to take care of the kids, who really don't get much alone time or time to do certain things that they need to do, why don't you invite that person to come to parents' night out and kids' night out? Or think about couples that are so busy they don't have much time for each other. Maybe they can't afford sitter service. Why don't you invite them to come and have some time and just express some love toward them. That's the only agenda, that love. And pray for them and pray for their kids and pray that God opens the door from it. You don't know what will happen. And imagine if you give These families, the gift of three hours here at the church. Imagine if more than 50% of all the families that come here that night leave their kids here in our care. Imagine if they came from families who didn't know the Lord, who didn't have a church. Who knows what God could do with that? That's one opportunity to partner. Let me give you another opportunity to partner. You haven't heard anything about this except on the first Sunday of the month when I talked about it. But I've been um, struggling to make connection with people out in the culture. I've always had connection with people out in the culture. And since I've come here, that's been a little harder. And I love being with people. And Marcia and I talked about it, and we want to run an alpha program. So we're going to do that here. It's going to start February 19th on Tuesday night. And we're going to do it that Tuesday night on the 19th, which is a dinner? For you and a friend or someone who has some spiritual questions. Maybe they, they don't believe in anything. Maybe they were raised Christian and understand it, but not really following it. Maybe they just want to talk about some spiritual things. Why don't you come to that dinner? We're going to have a sign-up starting this week. You'll hear about it in the highlights, and we'll make it available. If you let us know, we'll give you more information about it. But during that evening from 6 to 8, we're going to be having dinner and discussing the next 10 weeks of a program that lasts just two hours long in which we have dinner, we watch a video, and have a short discussion. We're going to do it in the upstairs of Linfred Winery. How's that for being with tax collectors and sinners? It's an opportunity for us to partner with you and for you to partner with us. Not everybody would want to come, but. I think it's going to be a, a great evening, a great experience, an opportunity to discuss some things. Uh, it has a particular form that allows for people to have more open discussion. It's 10 consecutive weeks after February 19th. So if you want to know more about it, contact me, contact Marsha. Later on this week, when the highlights come out, you can click on it. You can let us know you've got somebody you want to invite to come to this so we can figure out and make sure we have enough space. I don't expect it to be an overly large group, but you never know. You never know what God's got in store. And a lot of us have been praying about it. And we're going to need a team of people to help us, about six. We need some people to be praying for us. We need some people to help us set up and clean up that evening. We need some people to lead some table discussions. So... I want you to be praying about it. Maybe there's a way for you to help partner in this and for our church to do something out in the culture that begins to open the door. The purpose isn't for them to come to our church as a result, although I hope that they will go to churches as a result. And certainly some of them will want to come here. But if not, Hopefully, I can encourage them to go to some other churches, good evangelical churches in the area, because there are plenty of them. And hopefully, their lives are really enriched. Well, those are some opportunities I wanted to talk to you about. Another one is just very briefly, we've just tentatively scheduled it, We're scheduling tentatively a town hall meeting for Sunday, February 17th. We want to um, go over the Natural Church Development survey that we did in 2017, and all the work that the team, our NCD team, did to really look at how can we grow in our needs-oriented evangelism. The congregation identified that reaching out in the community is one of our greatest difficulties, and most important needs. And so this team got together and really looked at that very carefully and put together a lot of suggestions and good ideas. And we're going to bring that report to the congregation, but we're also going to bring an action plan to you as well from that report. So I hope you'll consider coming and being a part of that. That's another way for us to share. Here's what I want to say about today. Sharing Jesus with others is not, I repeat, is not primarily a duty or come from a sense of piety. Those things may be a part of it, but the heart of it must be love. The heart of it must be the love that you've received from Jesus. And the truth is, if you go back to that love, your heart's going to be opened up to it again. And for some of you, you need to have your hearts opened up again because it's easy to forget. Sharing Jesus with others, this hesed love, is love that lifts up and liberates others. It's the real motivation for why we live our lives sharing the gospel. Giving others hope. Working with God to set the prisoners free, just as we've been free. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for loving us with your Hesed love. We thank you for the gift of your mercy. I pray that you will make it resonate in every one of our hearts today in a quickening way. I pray, Lord, that we will remember when you invaded our lives, when you called us to follow you and we accepted that invitation and how our hearts leaped with joy and love. And I pray that you will inspire us and raise the temperature within us to want to share that love with others so that they too may be filled with the joy and love that you intend for them. That they too may live lives of eternal value. And I ask this all to your glory